comes from an old word meaning to strangle. Uh, no, not throttle or asphyxiate, but something you've experienced firsthand, maybe even today, and maybe with regard to your finances, health, or your family. Find out what it is next on Grace to You. ever found yourself overwhelmed, unsure, dreading what lies ahead, you've experienced that strangling effect of worry. Uh, maybe you've felt those symptoms when your bank shrinks and uh, you start to wonder how you'll provide the essentials for your family. Uh, perhaps you're sick today and missing work and your paycheck. Uh, maybe you're profoundly concerned about your children, uh, wondering if they'll ever repent and follow Christ. Well, left unchecked, worry can quickly control you. So, how do you keep that from happening? John MacArthur will help you today in the study he starts called Anxiety-Free Living, here on Grace to You. Uh, John, you're about to touch on a problem that we know plagues many, many of our listeners. So, to set the stage, talk for a moment about emotions, emotions like fear and anxiety, and how the objective truth of Scripture can be a help. Yeah, I think those kinds of negative emotions like fear and anxiety sometimes uh, are the product of a God-given instinct. That is to say, there are some things you should fear. If a bear comes running after you, you ought to have fear. If a car comes down the road on your side, you ought to have anxiety. Those are mechanisms that God has given us for the sake of self-preservation and self-protection. We need to have a healthy fear of things that are genuinely threats. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear that we ought to fear the Lord. Pretty clear that we ought to fear judgment. You remember it was Jesus who said, don't fear those who destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That was talking about God. There are plenty of reasons to be anxious if there's unconfessed sin in your life, there's plenty of reason to be anxious if uh, you're living apart from Christ and you're headed for discipline, or worse, you're not even a believer. You ought to be anxious about what awaits you. But when you're a Christian and you know Christ, you can live free from fear and anxiety because you've settled the eternal matter with God. That's what we're going to look at. You really can say goodbye to worry for good. John's study today and this week will help you do just that. Let's follow him now as he shows you how to experience anxiety-free living. We're going to look now at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34. This portion of Scripture contains some things that you're going to find familiar to you. And that's because... Much of what Jesus says here in Judea, months before his death, he said also in Galilee, long before this, in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the passage in Luke 12, 22 to 34 is a direct parallel to Matthew 6, verses, well, about verse 19 on down to uh, the end of the chapter, verse 34. Uh, so you'll find a very, very close parallel to that text in Matthew chapter 6, which you can compare on your own. We're not going to bounce back and forth. This then is sort of at the heart of Jesus' familiar teaching, which he no doubt 
not only had recorded in two places in, in the Scripture, but no doubt preached on many occasions in many different places. The key to understanding the passage before us, which you will find familiar to you, things like be not anxious for your life, consider the ravens, consider the lilies, uh, seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Those are familiar things, but uh, as we pull the passage together, the thing that ties it all up is a statement that Jesus makes three times essentially. Verse 22, do not be anxious. And then verse 29, do not keep worrying. And then verse 32, do not be afraid. And so I've entitled this passage, Worry-Free Living, or Anxiety-Free Living, or Stress-Free Living. The Lord Jesus in Scripture at least 12 times, is recorded to have said, don't worry, don't be anxious. And he explained why on the occasions in which he said that. On a number of times he said, uh, don't be afraid, and explained why. Anxiety-free living is part of what the Lord offers. It's part of the gospel message. It is what we have who are in the kingdom, if we want to take it. The goal in the society we live in is managed anxiety. How to somehow get rid of the panic, the stress, the anxiousness that you feel, because you are dangling in the midst of a cosmic universe that's inexplicable to you, and there are inordinate and underlying subliminal fears and anxieties that rise to the surface very often. And it gets to be pretty serious with many people. About 20 million in America, 20 million adults, are annual subjects of the mental illness world. About $42 billion a year in government costs. They come with anxiety disorders that are given names, even though they are often engaged in what's called comorbidity, which means they overlap and intermingle. It's not as if you just have sort of one area of anxiety. There are several categories. There's what's called general AD, which is general anxiety disorder. And I suppose you could throw almost everything in there. And then there's obsessive compulsive anxiety disorder, which means you do really weird things like wash your hands a hundred times a day or pull your hair out or rub your nose away or some other inexplicable compulsive kind of behavior. And then there is panic disorder in which you go into a high level of panic, uh, rapid heart palpitation, extreme fear, and there's no real circumstantial reason for it. There is post-traumatic stress AD, which is some level of panic that you feel after something that you just went through. And then there is um, specific AD, specific phobias about you know, some people are uh, go into anxiety if they see a rat or some with a snake or or some have anxiety over a storm. Some people literally have a phobia of with closets. Agoraphobia, claustrophobia, agoraphobia, heights, etc., etc. This is huge. 
And, of course, the medical business is huge to deal with it or to attempt to manage it. And uh, the, the drug companies, of course, are the main player in how that is managed. According to Ohio State University, the goal of any treatment is to make anxiety a manageable part of daily existence. The best the world can offer you is to manage your anxiety. Jesus offers you to eliminate it. That sound like a good deal? Get rid of it altogether? Stop it? In fact, you could, in, you could basically translate verse 22, stop being anxious. Verse 29, stop worrying. And verse 32, stop being afraid. The world will offer you cognitive behavior therapy or a long list of drugs. But our compassionate God offers a far better solution, and that's the elimination of your anxiety altogether. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Stop being afraid. Worry is a, it's a pretty deadly thing. Roche said, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. You may start with just a little worry and it can engulf your whole life. I read this some time ago. I don't know why I read some of the things I read, just curious, I guess. But I was reading about the Bureau of Standards in Washington, D.C. And um, they set all kinds of standards. And there was one little paragraph in there that said this. A dense fog covering seven city blocks. You with me? A dense fog covering seven city blocks. A hundred feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water. Divided into 60,000 million drops. Not much there, the paragraph said, but it cripples the whole community. Well, that's what can happen in worry. You can have something the size of one glass of water cripple a whole community. The word worry actually comes from an old German word, the English word worry. The old German word is worgen. It means to choke or strangle. It's talking about mental strangulation through fear and anxiety and stress, and worry. Now, there are only two realms in which you can worry. You can worry about the physical world, or you can worry about the spiritual world. You can worry about what is immaterial or what is material. You can worry about what is earthly or what is heavenly. And so that is precisely what Jesus says you don't need to worry about. In verse 22, he says, don't be anxious for your life. And by that, he means what you eat and your body, what you wear. Stop worrying about that. The basics of life. And then down in verse 32, don't be afraid on the spiritual level, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You're left with nothing to worry about. Nothing to be anxious about. Nothing to be stressed about. Nothing to panic over. So we conclude that if you do worry as a Christian, worry is a... Sin. But it's a sin that rises from a failure to understand God. A failure to understand His sovereign love. A failure to understand His sovereign care. A failure to understand His sovereign resources. So that's what Jesus unfolds here. Jesus does offer anxiety-free living. When you come into His kingdom, God takes care of you. And your worries really are ended. So that what defined your life, worrying about everything, is eliminated. 
Now, you have to understand the promises of God, and you have to understand the purposes of God to come to this worry-free, anxiety-free living. So let me help you with that. In these verses, as they unfold down all the way to verse 34, there are several points that I want to unpack for you, six of them. And they show that worry rises from a failure to understand something about God. First of all, let's look at the first one. Worry is a failure to understand divine priority. Worry is a failure to understand divine priority. Let's go back to verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. It's not hard to understand, and yet there's some things below the surface there that I think we're gonna, are going to open up a deeper understanding of this. First of all, he said to his disciples, remember now, he's talking to the disciples, which would include the apostles, as we note in verse 41 when Peter says, are you addressing this parable to us or everyone else as well? I mean, the apostles were learners, but not just the apostles. There were others who had believed in him, and there were other learners, which is the word disciple, mathetes, who were still trying to decide. He's talking to those who have decided or are trying to decide, and he's explaining to them what life in the kingdom is. The crowd is in the tens of thousands, and mingled in that crowd are those who are still open to his teaching, while the majority of the crowd are hostile toward him. But to those who were still interested, he defines the kingdom. And he says to his disciples, picking up after the interruption, remember in verse 13, a man interrupted him by telling him he ought to say to his brother, give me my share of the inheritance. And Jesus gave the wonderful parable of the rich man who built bigger barns to keep everything for himself. And the Lord said, tonight your life will be required of you. And then Jesus said, you know, you should lay up treasure in heaven, you should be rich toward God and, and not selfish. And that's how that story ended in verse 21. And after answering that young man's plea with that parable, he resumes his teaching, but he connects the two together, as verse 22 says, for this reason, I say to you, what reason? The reason that I've just stated, verse 21, you make a choice in life. As to whether you lay up treasure for yourself or are rich toward God, which is just another way to say lay up treasure in heaven. And that's how he said it in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. So you make a choice. Either you are selfish and materialistic and keep everything or you lay up treasure in heaven. That's the choice you have to make. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And the picture of slavery made that pretty clear. Being a slave was not like being an employee. You didn't go to work at 8 and finish at 5. You can do that in our society. And then you can go to work somewhere else at 7 and finish at 2 in the morning. You can serve two masters in our culture. You can have two jobs. But you couldn't in a slave environment because you were owned by the master. And there was no way a slave could serve two masters. Impossible. He would hate someone 
giving him to someone else, giving him orders than the one that he belonged to. He would despise an effort on the part of someone who didn't own him and support him and feed him, commanding him to do things. It was impossible. And so in the spiritual realm, you either serve God or money. You're either rich toward God or you indulge yourself. And that's the point he makes. Now, uh, he says, for this reason, I have something to say to you. That's the transition. Because here's what they would be thinking. The question would come to their minds. They're sitting there thinking, well, Jesus is saying we ought to be rich toward God and not save money and build bigger barns and store up money and make ourselves wealthy and and all of that and ignore the poor and ignore the needy and ignore the purposes of God. But if we give it all to God, what about us? What's going to happen to us? Who's going to take care of us? I mean, we live in a dog eat dog world, right? Who's going to take care of us if we don't take care of ourselves? If I don't build bigger barns, if I don't take care of myself, if I don't stockpile, who is going to take care of me? I don't want to depend on somebody else. I don't want to depend on somebody's perhaps transient compassion. Well, the answer, of course, that the Lord gives here is this, that uh, God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. God is the one who feeds the birds. God is the one who arrays the grass in the field. God is the one who knows what you need. God is the one who will give you the kingdom. You just came under the care of God. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care on him, he cares for you. So if he asks you to give up everything, like he did the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give your money to the poor. Not on your life, he said. Turned around and walked away. For he was very rich. And he wanted his money. And he didn't want to give it away and depend on God. But on the other hand, Jesus said, if you want to come after me, Luke 9, 23, you have to deny yourself. You have to lose your life. In other words, uh, salvation is for people who are desperate enough to say, look, I don't, I don't care what it costs me. If you want everything I have, I'll give it. If you want nothing, that's fine too. Whatever it is, I'll give it. And even if you don't ask, like Zacchaeus in chapter 19, the Lord uh, gives the gospel to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back everybody I ever extorted anything from in multiples. This came out of his heart. If you respond to the truth and you come into the kingdom, then you become his to care for. And uh, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he said this, chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 11. I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering. What's the secret? Trusting God. Sometimes you have a lot. Sometimes you have a little. But you always have enough. Why? Verse 19. My God shall supply all your what? Needs. Do you trust God to that point? You come into his kingdom. And you can trust him to meet your needs. Now, this is an issue of divine priority. Let's go back to the text and I'll show you how this works. Do not be anxious for your life. Now, what do you mean by life? Your physical life explains it, meaning what you eat. Don't be anxious about your body, what you're going to wear. Now, this deeply concerned people in Jesus. I mean, they basically lived to survive. There were no fast food places. You know, uh, stores to go buy the endless 
elements of clothing that are available to us. If you wanted to eat, you had to you had to grind it out yourself and cook it yourself and do all the preparation. And if you wanted clothing, you went somewhere and you bought thread and you 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 made it on a loom and you made the fabric or you bought the fabric and you made the garment. And and if you were poor, you had a real struggle for your food and struggle for your clothing. And I mean, First Timothy six, eight says with food and covering, be content. And that was what life was about. It was about getting enough meals each day to survive and the clothes you needed to stay warm and to be protected from the blazing heat of the Middle Eastern sun. But he says, look, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat to support your life. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to put on. Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body than clothing. Here's another way to say that. You exist for a higher reason. Okay. You exist for a higher reason. Life is more than food. And you have a body for more reasons than just clothing. In other words, God didn't make you so that you could be like an animal. You're not just an eating machine. You're not just the ultimate end of the food chain. You're not the final product of evolution. And your body is not designed as something that's just supposed to be clothed for its environmental protection. It's really not about that at all. You're not an eating machine and a mannequin. You know, it's hard to convince our culture of that. Food and fashion. Food and fashion. OD'd on restaurants and clothes. But without God, you are an eating machine and a mannequin. But God didn't give his people life for that reason. I'm not here just to exist. It's in God that I live and move and have my being. But God has a purpose for my life. I'm under divine priority. The simple idea is this, folks. Get it. For those who are in the kingdom, if God gave you life, and he did, if he wants you to live, and he does, if you're alive, if he brought you into his kingdom, and he has, then he has a purpose for you to fulfill in his kingdom to his glory, and so he will sustain you to that fulfillment. Okay? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense for God to say, I will save you and I will give you eternal life. I'll give you spiritual life. And I have a, a, a purpose for your life and a destiny and a plan and a purpose. And I have gifted you and I've called you and I've laid out circumstances. And man, if you can just keep yourself alive to fill this deal out, this will be really good. No. In all honesty, the, the, the people who are not in God's family come and go and live and die with no contribution to the divine kingdom. But those of us who are his are fulfilling divine purpose. And that's why you can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? What? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death and out the other side. The earth is the Lord and all that is in it, Psalmist says. So if God gave you life and he did, if God redeemed you and he did, if God has a purpose for your life and he does, then he will provide what you need to survive. So be rich toward God and uh, you will have the promise that as you're rich toward God, he'll be lavishly rich toward you.
As long as he has that unfolding plan in your life, he will sustain it. We have a life, we have a body for the purposes of God. To live to his glory, to fulfill his will, to fulfill his plan. And as long as that plan is operating, he will sustain us. You don't have to build bigger, 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 bigger barns to take care of yourself, to protect yourself. Be wise, be faithful. Don't be foolish. Be a good steward. Do some planning for the future. But you're not the one who has obligated himself to your care. God has. No need to hoard so that you can survive in the future. You will be sustained by the Creator until His purpose for your life ends. He'll feed you until the very, very end. You could divest yourself of everything, everything you have. That wouldn't change God's commitment to sustain you until it's your time to enter into His heaven. So you have to understand the priority, right? And the priority is spiritual purpose. If you understand that, if you understand God's gifted you, He's called you, He's regenerated you, he's put you into his family, he's put you into a place of witness and ministry and service, and all he wants you to do is live to his glory, and he will take care of your life. Your life is not about food. Your life is not about clothing. It's not about making sure you can survive. That's God's commitment. That's the priority. John MacArthur, helping you understand, maybe better than ever, God's commitment to meeting your needs, His promise to provide. This is Grace to You, and John is showing you how to live without worry, whatever you're facing today. The title of his study, Anxiety-Free Living. Now, these practical lessons on dealing with worry are available on two CDs or two MP3 downloads. You probably know someone who would benefit from these messages, maybe right there in your own household. To purchase a copy, ask for the title, Anxiety-Free Living, as you contact us today. Order through our toll-free number. It's available anytime, 1-800-55-GRACE. Or go to our website, gty.org. The study on two CDs, Anxiety-Free Living, costs $12. Call to order, 1-800-55-GRACE. Or get that same study on two MP3s for just $6. Go online to gty.org. You can order MP3s or CDs online. When you get in touch, let me encourage you to also re uh, request a copy of the MacArthur Study Bible featuring 25,000 notes that cover nearly every passage. This study Bible costs $35 in hardcover or $65 in leather and comes in the New American Standard or the New King James Versions. There's also the new personal-sized editions. Find out more when you call 1-800-55-GRACE or go to the website gty.org. Thanks for remembering that we depend on support from listeners like you. If we're making a difference in your life, helping you better understand God's Word, let us know that you're standing with us. The address here, Grace to You, Post Office Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412 or call 1-800-55-GRACE. And now for John MacArthur and the staff, thanks for tuning in today. Don't miss tomorrow's broadcast and the lesson from John, bringing you 30 additional minutes of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You.
You know, the world has plenty of lightweight advice for coping with anxiety, but God's Word gives real answers. John MacArthur shows you more tomorrow on the next Grace to You.